This episode of the podcast is brought to you by PagodaImports.com. Pagoda Imports has started back in 1995 with one very simple goal to produce the finest quality handcrafted wind turn equipment available while keeping prices realistic. And speaking of prices, you can now find sales up to 50% on their long poles and wind dummies. And if you type addicted to Wing Chun in the comment section while checking out and completing your order, you will receive a complimentary wall bag. That's right, you will be sent a free wall bag with any order of wooden dummy, long poles, or butterfly knives. This offer is only available until the 26th of November 2017. More information in the link in the description. We're here with uh, Paul Veldman. Paul is a fifth degree karate black belt as well as a black belt in the Filipino martial arts and uh, also currently training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He was a member of Victoria Police for 17 years in which he spent time as an operational duties member, as a member of the force response unit and later as a train the trainer in conflict management, defense tactics, firearms and force building entry techniques. Included in his time with Victoria Police, he was also a siege and hostage negotiator and close personal protection officer. Paul is the founder and chief instructor of Kendo Martial Arts. Kendo has five full-time venues with over 1,800 students. He specializes in retention and structure um, and team building and the many other day-to-day skills that add up to running a successful club. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about with uh, Paul today. I'm really excited. Um, I asked Paul to join in uh, our podcast and share with us what does it take to build a successful school and keep a successful school. Paul, how are you? Oh, I'm good, thank you, Bogdan. Thank you for having me on tonight. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I'm excited. Can you tell us a bit about yourself before we begin? How you actually started with martial arts? What you know? Um, uh, what triggered your interest in that sense? Yeah, I started martial arts when I was about 13 years old. Um, there was no no one factor. Like I wasn't really bullied. Um, I came from a, a middle class upbringing. My dad was a policeman as well. We were very lucky. We could always do a sport. We didn't have a lot of money, but mum and dad also always said we could do a sport. So I started um, training when I was about 13 years old. It just looked interesting. I had a couple of friends doing it. I trained until I was at university. I, I got distracted at university, as we do sometimes. Yes. I took a couple of years off, um, went back into a different field. So I started off in a traditional karate, went back into – sorry, I started off in a freestyle karate, mm-hmm. went back after university or partway through university into a traditional karate. Mm-hmm. Um, stayed – that was my main – field i guess my main instructor for probably 12 years i was with my sensei and and during that time i opened up my club under him Mm. what were the challenges when you started out um because for example i also started training martial arts when i was 13 however the mentality was a bit different um i don't know what's the mentality in melbourne um australia but where i grew up if you would teach martial arts that would equal starving right (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's funny because I, I never intended to start a martial arts club. It was mm-hmm. it was by accident. Right. Um, in the when I was in the police force, I was training for what we call our special operations group, like the SWAT teams. Um, and I, I blew my knee out on a training exercise mm-hmm. and had a full knee reconstruction. I'd gone from training 
um, you know, two, three hours a day to sitting in a room answering phones. And I remember saying to my, my sensei, I'm so bored. Can I come yeah. down and help out with the kids' classes? Yeah. And so I, I went down there and started helping out the kids' classes. And he said to me one day, there's a place down the road that would make a good club. Would you like to open a club up? And I thought to myself, oh, sure. How, how hard could it be to run a martial arts business? Right. <laughs> so and I think as, as most martial arts club owners found out, it's a lot harder than we think. So for the next five years, we struggled. Um, my wife and I both worked full-time jobs. If we didn't have our full-time jobs, the club would have closed. Yes. And it, it got to the point where I nearly closed it down. Um, and then this is probably 15 years ago. There was a martial arts super show. One of the Australian martial artists put on a, a business show, and mm. and we had no we had no business training. I think this is a big thing for martial arts instructors. Yes, is to understand that they might be very very good practitioners, very good teachers, but running a business is a separate set of skills. Yes, and and that's something we had nothing of. Um, we opened the doors up and thought people would come in, and they just didn't. We didn't market. We didn't know how to advertise. Um, I went to this business seminar and it was really at a low point. Like I said, I was ready to close the doors. The one person who was helping me had moved on and it just opened my eyes up to a whole new industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and back when I started up, there was no internet. There was no Facebook. There was no email system. Really, it was word of mouth or pamphlets or um, you know a, a directory. Yes. So it was, you know, you, you didn't have this instantaneous customer service you have now. We, we yeah, had yeah. someone walk in or send us an email, um, sorry, or um, leave a message on the answering machine of the phone. No mobile phones. It was it was really quite archaic compared to what we do these days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember when I opened my school in Bucharest and uh, I was handing out flyers at the subway. And, yeah. you know, I was there, like in the entrance of the subway and just giving out flyers and giving out flyers. It's like printed on, on paper, right? And I was yeah. so proud of myself that I, I worked the whole day. And then w- when I went down to the subway, all of my flyers just like being thrown <laughs> on the ground. That was the last day I, um, I, I uh, gave out flyers. Yeah, and it, it's changed so much these days. And the guys who are starting clubs up now don't realize how hard it was to generate inquiries. I remember we would, when we've got twin boy 15 now. Mm-hmm. And when they were very young, my wife and I would put them in the pram and walk around the streets yes. putting flyers in letterboxes. Yes. And then later on, when we got some more money, we might do a flyer drop and, you know, 30,000 flyers might cost you $3,000. Yeah. And then when I look at, I look at what we can do with $3,000 now it's with crazy. Facebook marketing, and yes. it's, it's nuts. You know, that's, a, that's two months' worth of budget for my entire organization now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so what would you say – are the most common mistakes that people make when um, when opening up a club? Uh, uh, the most common mistakes, I think, uh, people go into it for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the things I think you've got to maintain is your love of what you do because it's hard. Yes. And if you don't have that passion for it, so my we have a, a, a poster up in the staff room at my main club, and it says number one, martial artist; number two, teacher; number three, money. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm, that's the, mm-hmm. the order you have to keep that. You've got to keep that, that passion um, involved. I think people don't really get educated on how to run a business. And I, and I don't mean you've got to have a master's degree. But you have to, have, you have to understand the basics, the basics, the fundamental basics of, of internet marketing, fundamental basics of customer service. Um, 
and a little bit of capital behind you as well. It, it's okay to start off with a small place. It's okay to start off in a hall. It doesn't matter the format you do it in, yeah. but sometimes people overcapitalize on their on their venue and they don't have enough working capital to see them through that first few tough months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Or you know, if um, for people listening right now, guys, if you hate the idea of doing marketing, at least find somebody who loves it and can help you out, right? At least like part time to help you out with uh, some Facebook marketing or um, some stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's a really good point. As you grow your club, you we talk about growing your team. Mm-hmm. And we tend to think our team is our assistant instructors or our, or our desk staff. But we need to realize that our team goes a lot wider than that. Our team might be our marketing person. Our team might be our graphic designer, our website um, person, my business mentor, you know, my solicitor. Mm-hmm. My, my, te- my team includes my gardener so I don't have to mow my lawns at home because I hate mowing lawns and that's one of the things I outsource really quickly. Yes. So the, building that team around you and looking at things from a, from a holistic point of view is really important. And for the people who are thinking right now, okay, great, you talk about hiring a marketing person or a you know graphic designer, or like, but I have five students. How can <laughs> how can there's, there's I afford hiring people? <laughs> mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of free information. Um, mm-hmm. We've got our our martial arts business success page, which yes. is free. Uh, there's a friend of mine who runs an organization called the Titans, T-I-T-A-N-S, of martial arts. He's also mm-hmm. my mentor. He's uh, very, very good at Facebook marketing. He'll often throw free hints and tips. So you yeah. can find a lot of free information on the net these days. You don't need to pay big dollars. Right. And really, until you're ready for the information for the higher end, it's kind of a waste of money anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, an example is I, I signed up with a maybe two years ago a, an internet marketing company that were charging me $2,500 a month. Yeah. Now, looking back, what they were doing was really good. But I didn't know it at the time. Like, I didn't have the knowledge to make the most of it. So for three months, it was a waste of money. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So that's stage by stage as well. As your club grows, you grow, you grow in your knowledge as mm-hmm. well. So, and I think the thing is too, you know, martial artists we're, not, we're really good at um, educating ourselves and, and, and making ourselves better. We'll go and spend money on seminars and tournaments, yes. and yeah, you know, we'll buy ourselves all the best gear and the best pads. Yes. But then we're reluctant to spend money learning. To, to how to market or how to do Facebook or how to, you know, get on click funnels and put together a, a easy funnel for a for an ad. I think it has a lot to do with uh, you know where you're coming from in the sense that um, if you subconsciously or consciously associate business and um, you know this whole thing with uh, with money and charging people for um, for what you're doing you're associating it with something bad, with something evil, then of course you're not going to want to learn anything about, uh, you know, building your business or building your club or hiring people, retention and so on and so forth. Mm. So in in my opinion, I think first of all, you need like an identity shift to really decide what you're going to be doing with with your school and then, uh, you know, getting the tools and the people. Yep, I agree very much. Um, I call it. You got to find your why. Why do you mm-hmm. want to do it? Mm-hmm. And what do you want out of it? Because if your if your why is not clear, yes, it's like getting in your car and going for a drive, but not having a destination in mind. And if your why is not strong, 
then when things get tough, when you know when you don't have enough students, or you've got to cut back on your money, or you've got to work an extra job, if your why is not strong enough, it won't overcome all the difficult times because it's not easy. You know, running a business, any business, is not easy. Um, and like you said, you know, I think I've been running my clubs for twenty years, and I think it was three years ago my mum said to me. Okay, I can see how this would work as a job now. <laughs> because you can't. <laughs> yeah. Be, when are you going to police force? When are you going to go back to the real job? It's, so, it's still not too late <laughs> to get a job. <laughs> exactly. But I think you can find a good balance of a professional club and a high level of student. I have, I've got yes. no problem with that. Our students are very, very good. Uh, we're tough on them. We had a black belt grading two days ago, three days mm-hmm. ago. We started off with 35 candidates and we ended up grading 12. We, you know, the rest got knocked out along the way just for standards. That's very good. Yes. Yes. But I look also, and we have this conversation too. We have the, the guys who might train so, the um, community hall. So you mean to say that your club doesn't have any seven-year-old black belts? No. Like we, we seven-year-old have, we have, kids with black belts? <laughs> we, have a, we have a junior black belt. Yeah, um, but that's a minimum age, and we have an adult black belt minimum age. So yes. yeah, I think you've got to keep your standards. Mm. But if you if you look at standards, you know, for example, and we have this conversation a lot in Australia about are you selling out? Are you are you becoming mm-hmm. a dojo? Mm-hmm, 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 um, mm-hmm. With my club, if a student joins my club, they can train six days a week, yeah. and they train six days a week with instructors who are full time instructors mm-hmm. who are paid to upkeep their skills. And not just upkeep their skills. I constantly pay my instructors to upkeep their teaching skills as well. Yes, we've got yes. fully fully equipped dojo or club um, where on a membership that's that's a reasonable membership. They can pay, sorry, they can train 10, 12 classes a week if they want to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, now, the, mm-hmm. the person who runs the community center who charges, and I don't know what the exchange rates like, who charges very cheap, they're still running a business. They're just not doing it very well because if yes. it was all about the love yes. of love of the art they would say well my my the call cost me fifty dollars a night so i'll only charge the whole group fifty dollars a night mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think yeah i think you can find a real good balance between um, building a business and a lifestyle and and keeping the integrity of the martial arts yes yes yeah. i think that's like yeah. one of the main objections am i selling out mm. by uh, by learning business and uh, the fact is no because like like you said, when uh, when your school is is successful, then you have more opportunity for yourself to grow, and then your students grow, and so on and so forth. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, one of the challenges that I faced and I'm still facing because um, I studied I studied marketing with uh, I had a uh, marketing mentor who completely changed my life because before I had like eight eight students and when uh, I was getting one student a month, it was a celebration, right? Um, And this guy taught me some basic marketing um, principles and I became very, very good at generating new students. What I'm lacking right now is keeping them, right? Because uh, they have like, um, they stay for around three to six months max right that's uh that's the average retention so my question yep. is what what do you feel are the main mistakes in um in terms of keeping your students and keeping them happy and interested and motivated and um how how can you avoid them or how can you become better at it yeah and and that's really the key to growing a club you can bring as many students in as you want mm-hmm. but if they're leaving just as quickly yes. your club won't grow so retention 
one of the important things is, and it's interesting that you knew how long your students were staying for, mm-hmm. because keeping statistics is really important. You need to keep numbers. So we have a, a statistic that when people leave, we want to see how long they'd be with us for, what belt they were on, yes. who was their teacher, you know, yes. where they left. And then we start looking, if there's a pattern, we start looking at the curriculum. Is the curriculum too hard, too easy, maybe a bit too boring at that level? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a common teacher there? Maybe the teacher's lost some motivation. We look at the age of the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, our, our numbers tell us that we keep a, a student for, on average, about 18 to 20 months, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which, is, mm-hmm. which is not bad. I'd love yeah. to keep them all to myself, but it will never happen. So what we did with our club is at certain levels, we introduced reten- what we call retention curriculum. So mm-hmm. we still have a we're, a, we're a, a karate club that blends with some Brazilian jiu-jitsu and some Brazilian um, and some Filipino martial arts. So with the junior program, after that first six months, we brought in a really simple um, a weapon. We just brought in a stick, a, a Kali stick. Yes. And we taught them some really basic patterns but they didn't get tested on it for the grading, mm-hmm. but it made it fun for them. You know, we brought in sparring. At one level, we'd bring in sparring, then sticks, then double sticks, and just little things to keep them interested. Right. Uh, I think it's really important to, to, if you've got a bit of a relationship with, with the, the students and the parents, is to have a quick little exit interview mm-hmm. and, and straight up ask them, what, was there what? something that's missing? Yeah, what's mm-hmm. missing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you find that it's juniors as well, you've got to build that relationship with their parents because the yep. parents are the customers and the parents have to see value in what you're doing as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's really a matter of trying to identify patterns. And if your pattern is around that three to six month mark, yeah, is the curriculum too hard? Is it too easy? Um, is, it, is it exciting them? Um, the biggest thing of, of anything that you do to grow your club is you've got to take great classes. And mm-hmm. if you are... And sometimes that's hard. If you're working a full-time job and you're teaching two or three nights a week and you get to the club and you're tired and you feel flat, you've got to put the happy face on. You know, you've got to show yeah. that energy, motivation, whether you yeah. feel it or not. Yeah. And we've all been through that. We've all been through that, oh, you know, tonight of all nights, I could really not come to the club tonight. Yeah. And you put, your, you put your happy face on and you go in there and you, you put on the show. So, yeah, so look for patterns. Look for patterns of where they are. Talk to people. Look at the curriculum. Look at the way the classes are being taught. Um, and be, and it's hard, be critical on yourself. You know, am I doing the best I can? Can I change just a little bit here or there to make it more entertaining for them? Because kids especially, kids need to be entertained. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what we call, I think Melody Schumann, I don't know if you've heard of her, she's an American girl who does a lot of um, early childhood martial arts. Mm. She calls it edutainment. They've got to be educated, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but entertained as well. Yeah. And yeah. that's retention. Now, the first time I trained in Okinawa, it was a real eye-opener for me because we used to push our kids pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And I went to Okinawa in Japan and we were training in a group and we trained a lot with the instructors. And then we did a couple of mixed classes with the kids. Right. And I watched these kids train and they were wearing a blue belt, which could have meant anything. Didn't really, you know, but I said to the sensei, how long have these kids been training for? And he said, they've been training for about two years. Mm-hmm. Now, by my standard, I went, oh, I thought to myself, they're not very good. Now, maybe he saw something in my face or maybe he's come across this before. He said, yeah. in Okinawa, where karate is a lifestyle thing, we understand that children are children. And if they have fun, they'll stay. And if they stay, they'll get good. Yeah. And if they don't have fun, they'll leave. Yeah. So when I got back to my club, I pulled the senior instructors in and I said, I want to try something. I want to bring the intensity back about 20%. 
you know, bring the standard that will grade the kids back at 20%, just the kids, mm-hmm, not the adults. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And let's see what happened. And I thought if it goes really badly, we'll fix it up next grading cycle. Mm-hmm. And, and what happened, Bogdan, is the kids had more fun and they enjoyed themselves more, so they started training more. Yeah. And the standard, the standard went up. And we went, well, you know what? At the end of the day, we have to understand these are children, and children want to be having fun. Yes. Yes, that is so, that is so powerful. Um, how young do children start in your uh, school? We have just started up a three- and four-year-old program, um, which and we call this pre-martial arts. Mm-hmm, so we, mm-hmm. we run a three, three- and four-year-olds are our kinder ninjas. Yes. Uh, we run a five- and six, little dragons. And we talk to the parents and we say, these programs are about developing social skills and motor skills, um, functional and awareness. So they're not really martial arts. And then our, our, our real martial arts program starts at seven. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Um, so from what you say, it's actually, it really comes down to, like any business, knowing your numbers and um, knowing your clients at the end of the day, why, knowing why they come to the school, knowing why they stay and why they leave, yes. right? And that's something that I've struggled with a lot, you know, knowing uh, my numbers or actually just keeping track because it would bore the hell out of me, right? Especially if, um, who's listening right now, if you're really creative and you love uh, doing, you know, creating stuff like uh, like videos or painting or drawing, knowing your numbers can be a real, real pain in the ass. So, yeah, you can either, you know, push yourself and learn to do it or, you know, because of the pain that it causes, you're going to learn it anyway. Or just have somebody who's really keeping track of everything, right? Like one of your mm. students who can do it, who loves to do it. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. And it's one of those things. It's, it's like when you do your martial arts. There may be elements of your martial art that you don't enjoy as much as the rest. Yes. You know, you may love your sparring more than your forms. But to progress through as a, as, a, as a rounded martial artist, you have to do everything. Mm-hmm. Same as a business. There, there might be elements that you don't like. You know, when I was a kid, my dad said to me once, your job's going to be to mow the lawns. I said, I don't want to mow the lawns. He said, you don't have to want to do it. You just have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, that stuck with me that there's, there's things in my business I don't want to do. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm terrible at procrastinating. Um, but when you get big enough, you outsource them. You get an assistant instructor, you give them some work. But at the end of the day, man, you've got to, that's again, your why has to be stronger. Yeah, you just got to do it. Um, And one thing too that took me, I think, maybe maybe eight eight, eight years ago was one of the biggest changes for me Mm -hmm. was to identify the person I wanted as a student. Mm-hmm. I did an exercise with a mentor where yes. I identified my student. Because you know, when you start a club up, everyone, you want everyone, anyone who comes in. And I remember having guys come in who would say, do you do full contact sparring? I go, yeah, we do full contact sparring. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be sparring with this person a lot because the other guys <laughs> do full contact. <laughs> yes. or, uh, do, you do, do you do just Carter and forms? Yeah, we can do lots of forms. Do you do this, do that? Yeah. And you yeah, try to do yeah, everything, yeah. everything. And because you try to grab everything, you end up with nothing. Now, yes. when you identify the ideal student for you, you start to be able to market to that student. Mm-hmm, you start mm-hmm. to be, able to be, tr- be true to yourself, and you, you find that you tend to then have people who feel the way you feel and who like what you like, and, and the classes are easier to run. You're not trying to be all these different things. Yes. 
so identifying that student that suits you is really powerful once you get your club going. Yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely. That's exactly the the one thing that changed everything for me when um, uh, you know I mentioned my marketing mentor. That's the first thing he he didn't allow me to do any kind of Facebook ads, right? Or uh, to any kind of advertising until I found my avatar. That's um, that's what he calls it, right? The ideal yep. person that I wanna wanted to work with. Um, and once I did, when I rolled the um, the Facebook ad, like I was doing Facebook ads for about a year, and I spent around six hundred six hundred eighty dollars or stuff like that, and had like zero students. Yeah, just getting likes on my page with zero students. And once I identified my ideal client and uh, build like an offer for that person, mm. I just got like 24 people who signed up and I selected 14 out of the, the 24, right? So, um, yeah, guys, if you're listening in, it's very, very important to know who you want to serve and say no to the people who are not your ideal uh, clients. That's very powerful, right? Mm. Yeah, that will cause you more trouble later on down the track. You'll lose good students mm-hmm. because you're trying to grab because you're trying to grab different students. You know, yes. you're, you're better off just having less of a better quality. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I think we get that from from school mostly, trying to please everyone or be everything for everyone because you got to get A's at all at everything, right? You got to be good yeah. at everything. Yes. So yeah, absolutely. Specialize. Are there any other? Um, Actually, no. I'd like to ask you about you know opening different clubs. How does that work? How do you go about it? What, what's your system in that sense? Yeah, my my one of my mentors said to me, if you want to think about opening up multiple clubs, don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I kind of understand now why he said that. Um, the key for me was that I, I worked very hard on my leadership team on training my junior instructors. Yes. And again, it took me a long time to get onto this. And it was again, I had a mentor come out and look at our classes and look at my club. And he said to me, you know, your classes are great. Your students are fantastic. How, how much time do you spend training them? And I said, well, I do all the classes myself. And he yeah. said, well, your assistant instructors, how much time do you train them? I said, oh, I don't. They just follow me. Mm. And the irony at that time was my job in the police force was to train the trainer. So I was training instructors at work, but yes. not applying at my own club. Yes. yes. So, so we started off a leadership team. Um, it built up. And, you know, these are the guys who are now running clubs. They started with me when they were very young. Most of the club owners started with me when they were six years old, seven years old. Mm-hmm. And they're out running their clubs now. Um, and it just got to the point where they were too good to stay at my club as an as a assistant instructor. So yes. they were either going to go and do their own club by themselves or they were going to go and do uh, their career or I had to make a path for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. one of the things that really helped that, um, I don't know how, how if you have many business seminars or, or conferences over, over there, but we do have a few here now and I took them along to those. And they started to realize that, well, there's there's a career here as a martial arts instructor. It's not just a matter of punching and kicking. They realized there was, you know, they could make a good living out of it and do what they love. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the instructor that takes that runs my main club, he's been with me since he was five years old. He's 25 now. He's never had another job. You know, he dropped, he, he finished university, he was doing astrophysics, and yeah. he said, I don't want to see more. I want to be a martial arts instructor. So, 
he's actually going to buy into my club by half of it because that's that's a fair reward for him to stay and run it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, other, the other way I've done it is as the instructors get really good if they have the potential to do it because it's really important to me that we protect our name um, and our reputation in the industry. If they want to do it, then uh, I take them through uh, like a mentoring program mm-hmm. in-house Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I help them find help them find their own club and set up and, and we work together really well. So in the we've gone in the last three years we've gone from one club of five hundred and I think it was five hundred and sixty we worked out the other day mm-hmm. and just over three years later we're at five clubs and um, over eighteen hundred students and it's because of these guys they they're very passionate um, I give them ownership on the club so even mm-hmm. if they don't want to own it fully I go halves with them yes or I let or I let them own it because it's not. I don't want to be greedy. You know, I've been mm-hmm, under instructors mm-hmm. that take all the fees, all the gradings, everything back, and it's not fair if they're doing all the work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess to answer the question, if you want to open up multiple clubs, you've really got to have a good leadership base because you don't want to strip your own club out and and lose that there. Mm-hmm. And understand that if you own the clubs and the, and an instructor leaves, you have to be able to cover it out. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. Excellent. Um, yeah, I got a lot of value out of um, out of our uh, conversation, and I'll definitely, I'm definitely thinking of how to get in touch with the people that are not, um, you know, are not coming anymore to my school, and uh, just have like a, a short interview with them. What they usually mm-hmm. say is that um, because you know we're talking, but I think I have to dive a bit deeper. Because what usually tends to happen is they come, uh, you know, they either hate their jobs or, uh, you know, they don't have the kind of relationship that they want and they get, they get the promotion and then suddenly they don't have time for, uh, for training anymore, right? Or they get the relationship or their wife uh, or husband, you know, that's something and then they don't have time for class anymore. But I, I think I need to go a bit deeper, dive a bit deeper and uh, find out. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I think also too. I like to keep a good relationship. If people leave, I don't want to leave on bad terms. If yes. I see somebody down the street, I want to be able to say hello and shake their hand. Um, and if you've got a database or something you're using with your students, keep in touch with them. Send them out information. Send them out little emails about what's going on at the club. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a, have a mailing list. Yes, and that way they understand that doors always open for them. Mm-hmm. Every year we do a, a, a reignition letter. We'll send letters out to all the old students with an offer if you'd like to come back you're always welcome back and we'll get a two or three students back each time and sometimes as you said sometimes the timing's wrong that you know something changed in their relationship but if you keep in touch with them and and let them know the door's open you know if they're going to come back they might come back to you yes yes absolutely absolutely awesome paul where can people get in touch with you and where can they get some um some basic information that will probably change their their school and their life yeah, probably the best thing to do. I, I run um, a group called Martial Arts Business Success, uh, MABS, MABS, and it's just it's a fairly low key group. Um, it's a lot of fun. There's a free Facebook group, so if you just type in Martial Arts Business Success, um, you'll find that. If you like what I do on there, I do a, a paid group, sixty-seven dollars a month Australian. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I don't know what that translates as. Yeah. Um, but in that, I put up packets of information. So packets of information like how to do a leadership team, how to work on your retention, uh, how to do recruiting, how to bring up your student value ratio, how to work your admin staff, just little bits and pieces that I've found help, have helped my club build mm-hmm. up. But, mm-hmm. And, you know, you always find me on Facebook as well. So come and say good day. 
Awesome, awesome. By the way, guys, I'm in that group as well, and you're going to find a few of the seafoods that we've uh, previously interviewed. I'm not dropping any names, but you have to look for yourself. So I'll see you guys inside Paul's uh, group. I'm very excited to learn more and uh, you know take my school as well to, to the next uh, level. Paul, thank you so much for your time and uh, for sharing your wisdom. More than welcome, Bogdan, and good luck with everybody growing their schools. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening in to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and um, I hope this information will contribute to your martial arts journey and help you build the kind of school that you always dreamed of. And, of course, be sure to check the link for Pagoda Imports, and don't forget you're getting some huge discounts right now. And if you order a wooden dummy, a set of butterfly knives, or any long pole, and type in addicted to Wing Chun in the comment section when checking out, you will receive a free wall bag just for you guys, just for the fans of the podcast. And if you're enjoying the podcast and these interviews, please go ahead and leave a rating on iTunes. It helps more than you know. I'll see you next time. Have a gorgeous day.